Hey folks, have you visited our friends at adamandeve.com yet? Use our special discount code HORROR at checkout for 50% off almost any item, plus a free gift, plus free shipping. Oh my god! That's H-O-R-R-O-R. So before you start the show, head over to adamandeve.com for some sexy discounts. The only thing sexier than sex is discounts. Mmm, discounts. Oh my god. Hello, everyone. Hi, listeners. Welcome to episode 19 of I'm Horrified. I'm Sam Buntich. And I'm Allie Rayner. And we're horrified. Oh, there it is. We're doing it. That was a sick intro. Sick intro. We've done it. it. (laughs) We accomplished the task. Even before episode 20, we're here. We have arrived. This is our peak. This is our season five of The Office. Ooh. Season four. Season four of The Office. This is our season five of RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes. Correct. The best season. The best season. The most iconic. Welcome to RuPaul's Best Friend Race, a podcast discussing RuPaul's Drag Race. Wait, stop everything. What if we start that podcast? We will. What if we start doing two podcasts? Who would follow us? We can be our own podcast network, babe. I'm going to be so excited. Oh my gosh. Is anything going on with you this week? Is anything going on with me this week? It's summer and I'm thrilled and I just want to go to the beach every single day. Oh, me too. I'm really excited because um we're about to hit 5,000 plays. Wow! Oh my goodness. You guys, thank you. I'm so excited. By the time this airs, we definitely will have. <gasps> oh. So, very exciting. That's um, so cool. We'll post a little thank you on Twitter at I'm Horrified Pod. Go Ooh. follow us. Maybe when we hit 5,000, um, we'll have you watch The Matrix. Oh yeah, I should watch The Matrix for all you people. <laughs> and that's I was thinking about it deeply the other day, and I think I've seen enough of The Matrix to say I've watched The Matrix, but I don't know that I've ever But you haven't sat down and watched it. Sat down it. and watched it. So I'm equally excited to watch The Matrix. Let's do this. Let's really do it. But we're not doing that now. Right now, uh, we're discussing what, Sam? What are you what are you discussing today? I'm gonna talk about C T E. And I'm going to talk about the New England vampire panic. Which is three things I care a lot about. New England, vampires, and general panic. Absolutely. <laughs> you came to the right place if you love those three things. <laughs> also, New England Vampire Panic is the best mid-2000s pop punk band name that I didn't come up with. Ooh, so I wish. Uh, to live that life. But you know what? All right, Sam, I know that this is kind of a complicated one, so I just want you to take it away. Yeah, let me take this over. So I was inspired to do this piece about CTE from two sources. Number one, this last Super Bowl, the day before, you and me watched Concussion starring Will Smith. Yes, we weren't even thinking about the fact that it was the day before the Super Bowl. (laughs) But but it was. That we just were like, we really want to watch this movie. It was, and it was so good. And it was so good. It was so good. And then also Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History, just did a really interesting episode about kind of, like, the morals of the fact that we still play football when we know about this disease. Yeah. Listen to everything Malcolm Gladwell's ever done, I beg you, but that episode was specifically very good. So those two things were, like, in my brain, and I was like, now's the time, this is the place, let's talk about CTE. I'm ready for it. Me too. God knows. So, CTE, or chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Oh, wow. Yeah, I might have messed up that last word. Encephalopathy. I think I'm right. You gotta write the first time. Right? Yeah. But anyway, I'm gonna call it CTE, and it's a degenerative brain disease found in athletes, military veterans, and others with a history of repetitive brain trauma. 
So, like, you probably know this as the football player disease. I didn't I didn't really think about it, I guess, in terms of anyone other than people who play football. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess there's lots of different ways to have... <laughs> to just hit your head over and over. Yes, so this can be to anybody... Anybody who hits their head a whole bunch can get CTE. I can imagine a bunch of ways. Mm, absolutely. I, I hit my head today, probably. Yeah. Maybe I have CTE. I probably don't. I'll probably get into you it. don't. But let's talk about what causes CTE more specifically. CTE is caused by repetitive hits to the head sustained over a long period of years. So if you get one concussion, you are not likely to get CTE. Right. Because you got one concussion. It's really like years and years of sustained stuff. And when you're getting blows to the head for years and years and years, a protein called tau forms clumps in your brain and it fucks with your neurons so they can't, like, pass information the way that they're supposed to. That's the one thing that I know neurons do is they pass information along Same. to each other. The <laughs> only thing I know about anything. <laughs> the only important thing to know about neurons. So when your brain keeps getting hit and this protein is, like, clumping together, it fucks up those neuron pathways And uh, some bad stuff happens that I'm going to get into. Most people diagnosed with CTE suffer hundreds or thousands of head impacts over the course of their life to get CTE. Yes. So it is usually people who play contact sports or people who have served in the military. Those are the two groups most likely to get it. And like I said, it's not just if you get one concussion, but even if you've had four or five concussions, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get CTE. What it is, is if you have a lot of sub-concussive impacts, or it is just what it sounds like, hits to the heads that are not full-blown concussions, it seems like that is what is most likely to get you CTE. So, like, if you've played professional football your whole life, and you've never been diagnosed with a concussion, you are so likely to have CTE. Well, yeah, I think that makes sense, because... You know, you wouldn't see anything, and also, I feel like if you get more than one concussion, isn't it like you, you can't play contact sports anymore? Like, after you've had a certain amount of concussions... Yeah, I think they do pull they just you after tell you, a certain amount. It's not one, it's like... No, several. More. But, you know, they're gonna be like, eventually, like, oh, you've had too many blows, but if somebody's just kind of flying under the radar, then they could go on doing it. Exactly. For years and years. And so, I didn't know this, so the definition of a concussion is just any impact injury to your brain that causes symptoms. Really? Yeah. So it's like if you get hit in the head really, really hard and then you have, like, symptoms from that, that's a concussion. And any hit to the head that, like, has no symptoms, that's a subconcussive hit. Which, like, makes sense. It is what it says on the box. But, like, it's just even more simple than I thought it was. Yeah, I didn't think about that, I guess. Right? Um, And the way I was reading one interesting article, and they said to think about it like a pothole on the road. So if you hit a really bad pothole and your wheel gets all fucked up, your wheel's fucked up, but you have to stop what you're doing and fix your wheel before you can do anything else. But if you hit the same little pothole every day, your wheel is getting fucked up but it's not fucked up enough that you're stopping what you're doing to fix it, and therefore it might end up more fucked up in the end. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and that's like what you were saying. It goes under the radar. These people aren't getting pulled from the game or anything. Right. And that's why they're so much more likely to get CTE. They're not going to treat it if it doesn't hurt. It doesn't, it literally doesn't have symptoms. Right. But your brain is like, should I create a lot of this protein? And you can't tell it no. Oh. I wish you could. But you can't. That's so scary. I know, right? So the types of impacts that are likely to cause these subconcussive hits are things like tackles and collisions on a football field, headers in soccer, so like when you bounce the ball in your head, 
checks or collisions in ice hockey and body checks in lacrosse. And then obviously when you are in the military, like, a lot of horrifying things can happen to you that cause your head to be impacted. Right. So that's kind of why these these sports and military active duty are the things that really cause CTE. And it is every person diagnosed with CTE has a history of repetitive hits on the head. There is no other way right. okay. to have CTE, which I feel like is not necessarily the case with a lot of things. It's like, oh, it's most likely if it's this, but, like, you could also get it this yeah, way. Yeah, it could be genetic or it could be from this thing yeah. or whatever, but it, this feels like it's just cause and effect. Exactly. That's it. And there is, like, they're still doing a ton of testing. So they like, I read a bunch of articles that said there might be some kind of genetic component, like what two football players get hit the same amount on the head and only one has CTE because of something in their genetics. We're not sure, but it does seem like without these hits to the head, you're not getting CTE. Right. And so um, in tackle football, there have been over 200 cases confirmed. There are 25 confirmed cases from military active duty, 20 from hockey, Boxing has 15, rugby has 5, soccer has 5, and pro wrestling has 5. And this is a very new disease, so, like, that's why the numbers are not bigger, but we know these sports can cause CTE. It could have been happening since football began. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And they also, they found some cases in victims of domestic abuse. Oh. So it's it's not as common there, but if you are a survivor of domestic abuse, there's a chance that you were getting hit in the head repeatedly. So unfortunately, that can open the door to CTE. Um, Athletes who are playing contact sports at younger ages are at greater risk for CTE. And with that line of thinking, the longer you play actively, the greater risk you're at for CTE. That makes sense. So if you started playing peewee football when you were like 12, or 10, or (laughs) 8, and then you kept playing throughout your whole life until you were in your 30s professionally... Maybe even 40s, if you're Brett Favre or something. Like, there's a sports name for you folks. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm proud of myself. He's um, on the penis, right? <laughs> yep. That guy. Uh, if you start that young and you play a really long career, you are very, very likely to get CTE. All my sons are just going to knit. <laughs> Same. That's what they're going to do. All my, all my children are just going to sit in a quilting circle. And we'll make a big quilt and it will say, we're all safe. Yeah. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah, it's What peaceful. a nice way to grow up. Amen. Or like tennis. Yes. Either. Yeah, no, there are no tennis players on my list of people who have CTE. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm no doctor. The other thing about CTE that is really hard is that there is no way to diagnose CTE until you have already died. Ah. Uh. So the way that you diagnose CTE is you die... I open your head up and take your brain and cut into it, and that's when I find those tau proteins that have clumped together. And then I can say, yep, she had CTE. But before that, I can see patterns in your behavior that I think might be CTE, but I cannot diagnose you officially. So that, on top of everything else, on top of it being new and all that, makes it really, really difficult. That's really scary. To talk about and fight against, because, like, you don't know if you have it. Yeah. Until you're dead. Maybe of CTE-related complications. So, let's say you have CTE. Is it that bad? Yes. Oh. Yes, it is. I'm gonna talk you through the symptoms. 
Oh, I remember this from Concussion. Absolutely. A movie that made me very upset for reasons that you're about to probably explain. Mm -hmm. So there are four stages of CTE, and they generally start appearing eight to ten years after an athlete has experienced the peak of their repetitive, mild traumatic brain injury. So it's usually people who have, like, retired from professional football. Right. And they're in their 40s and 50s and living their life. So first stage symptoms include attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, confusion, disorientation, dizziness, and headaches. But if you're in your 40s or 50s and you're having trouble focusing and you're getting bad headaches, like, that's not necessarily the end of the world. Yeah, that's the kind of thing a lot of people would just ignore. Exactly. So that's first stage. Second stage starts to include memory loss, social instability, impulsive behavior, and poor judgment. That's pretty fast, getting all the way to social instability yeah. and impulsive behavior. Just at stage two. Yeah, that's that's alarming yeah. to me. And I found when I was researching cases, like, oftentimes this is going hand in hand with, like, all of a sudden you're drinking more or you're doing drugs. And people think, like, oh, they are impulsive and have poor judgment and memory loss because they are drinking and doing drugs. Right. When actually it's caused by the CTE and the drinking and doing drugs are part of the poor judgment. Right. And I could totally see that control. sort of like dovetailing with a narrative of a pro sports player of like, oh, they're retired and, you know, it's so sad. They got addicted to opioids and then yeah. like everything just kind of went downhill when maybe there was this underlying cause that nobody exactly. was thinking about. And when you're playing professional sports, like, you're fucking up your body anyways. Like, your knees are fucked, your (laughs) arms are fucked, like, your back's fucked. So oftentimes these people do genuinely have opioid addictions because they are trying to stop the physical pain they're in. But it can also be brain pain. And then in the third and fourth stages, we've got progressive dementia. We've got movement disorders. We've got speech impediments and sensory processing disorders. Vertigo, deafness, depression, and suicidality. And that's the thing that CTE has become very well known for, and that's what has kind of gotten it in the public news and on the map, is that a lot of older professionals, specifically football players, have uh, died by suicide. Right. And then when they perform autopsies, they found that they had CTE, and that's a likely cause of their depression and their suicidal thoughts. And it also, if you're um, a professional sports player in, like, your 50s and you have dementia, it's very likely that you have CTE. Or you just have dementia. Like, that's the hard thing. It's so hard to know. It is possible to just have dementia and not CTE. But if you're younger and you have it. Yeah, it feels unlikely in an otherwise healthy 60-year-old or or in an otherwise healthy 50-year-old or exactly. 40-year-old. Exactly. And um, patients with those later stages of CTE are also prone to inappropriate and explosive behavior and may display pathological jealousy or paranoia. Which really interrupts their relationships with people, which leads to some bad shit. So a brief history of CTE. Isn't this fun? This is fun. I mean, it's fun because it's interesting, but all I'm thinking about is how upsetting this is. Yeah. It's deeply upsetting. upsetting. So. Give me more. Wait, we're here to learn. I'll keep talking. Just stop me when it gets to be too much. I never will. Oh, babe. CTE was first described in 1928 by a man named Dr. Harrison Martland. I didn't know it had a life before recently. I know. Well, so back then it was called Dementia Pugilistica, I think, or Punch Drunk Syndrome, and it was found in boxers. That's who they thought had it, which is why, like, if you're a pugilist, you're a boxer is another word for it. That makes sense. Yeah. So this guy was finding it in boxers, and he was noticing tremors, 
slowed movement, confusion, and speech problems. But he wasn't quite connecting that with the fact that boxers got hit in the head a lot. Why not? He was just like, isn't it weird that boxers have all these problems? I guess I'll call it punch trunk syndrome. I mean, like, this is the thing that's frustrating about this is, like, yeah, it, you know, you can't tell and, you know, you can only diagnose it after you're deceased, but obviously <laughs> repeatedly causing trauma to the most important and sensitive part of your body is bad, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I know. It's just so frustrating. It's hard. It's frustrating to kind of wrap your head around. So, that was 1928, when we were like, we don't know why boxers have this thing, but it's called punch drunk syndrome. Ain't that crazy? (laughs) Now we're at 1949, so 20 years later, and there's a British neurologist named McDonald Critchley. Ooh. Which, what a name. Uh, And he comes out with, like, a seminal paper called Punch Drunk Syndrome's The Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy of Boxers. And he's the person to kind of say you know what? It's brain problems these people are having. Right. And probably it has to do with getting punched in the head. Thank you. Thank you, McDonald Critchley, (laughs) for figuring that out. So it kind of just stays there, and they don't look into other sports that it might be affecting. They're just like, yep, boxers get punch drunk syndrome sometimes. Like, there's only 50 confirmed cases. Like, it's not really a thing that people are looking into. But then, in the early 2000s, We have Will Smith coming on stage. And by Will Smith, I mean Dr. Bennett Amalu. Yeah, a hero. Who is a real person and not just Will Smith. (laughs) He is a a Nigerian neuropathologist, and he worked the case of an American football player named Mike Webster, who had died of suicide following a, like, bizarre series of events where he was, he was, like, pretty successful. He had a wife, he had kids, but all of a sudden he was addicted to drugs. He was living in his car. He was having, like, seizures. He was, like, irritable and lashing out at people, and they would say, like, this is not the guy that I know. All right. it, it was this weird mood change. And he was really famous, right? In he Pittsburgh, was. Because yeah. he played for the Steelers. Exactly. So after he died, um, Dr. Amalu looked into it, performed the autopsy. I think he was working at, like, the coroner's office at the time. And he's the person who kind of found these these clots of proteins in his brain and realized that, like, this might have something to do with the fact that Mike Webster was a professional football player and his brain suffered a lot of trauma. And so um, he published his findings in the Journal of Neurosurgery in a paper which he titled Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy in National Football League Player. And then he wrote another paper about it in 2006, a year later, and he's kind of the person that got this modern wave of researching CTE kicked off. And he had, like, a lot of pushback at first. People did not want to listen to the fact that probably when we're having football players suffer repeated injuries to their head, it might be affecting them later. In America, no way. <laughs> but he's lit and he, like, stood by and like, his findings and was like, no, this is happening. So I've called this next section, I'm horrified. And I'm just going to talk about um, some of the people and some of the numbers and just, like, the lives that have been affected by CTE. And as soon as you start talking about specific people, it gets very sad. Aww. It's just so sad. So they did a study in July of 2017 on 202 deceased former football players. And that included professional football players, college football players, and high school football players. Oh, wow. Who had been, you know, their bodies had been kind of put up by their families for like, we want to see if my son or my husband had CTE. 
And so they found that of that total of 202, 87% of them had CTE. Oh my god. 87%? And the crazier number is that of the professional football players, so if you take out the college and the high school athletes, they tested 111 former NFL players, and of those, 110 had CTE. So it was 99%. Oh my god. That's insane. I know. And obviously... These people, you know, passed away in such a way that their family wanted to see if they had CTE. Like, clearly they were symptomatic. Right. It's not every football player who died that they tested. That that does make sense. So that is kind of a bias of the study. But it is still wild and crazy. Just that 110, just that they could ha- all have it. It's, yes. It's insane. So it was 99% of the NFL players um, who were tested. It was 90% of the college players. Oh my god. Just college. You know, yeah. it's not even a career. <laughs> and of the 14 high school players, 21%. Ugh. Which means you can have this as young as 17. That's almost one in four. Yeah. If you've been playing football or any other sport, contact sport, you can have this as young as high school. My skin is, like, crawling. That's so scary. Isn't that scary and just, like, so sad? And, like, so sad for those, like, the parents of the high schoolers. Can you yeah, imagine? to know. To know... I, obviously, it's not their fault, but just no. to know that they were there at the games cheering and yeah. they were so proud. And... Yeah. And it was probably something special, like going to the Pee Wee games and maybe you're the coach and yeah. you're... Yeah. And maybe your dad played too. Yeah. And all it's... And that's the thing about all of this. It's just so seeped in sentimentality and history and yeah. Americana and all that stuff, but it's so scary. Mm-hmm. It is. So now, uh, let's talk about some cases. No. Oh. This next section contains a content warning for suicide. If this is a triggering conversation for you, feel free to skip ahead a few minutes. So we're going to start. I'm going from um, youngest to oldest, who has been impacted in just my... And this is like the teeniest of slivers. So like if you're interested in the stories of these poor people, like please go out and research. There's a lot of stuff out there. But here's the one that I have compiled. So Tyler Helinski was 21 years old. And he was the quarterback at Washington State University. And he died by suicide late last year. And, or no, it was early this year. It was January. And so um, his parents, you know, sent him off to be tested to see if he had CTE. And they found that he did. And he had the brain of a 65-year-old. And he's 21. So they're obviously horrified. Yeah, 21 is so young. 21 is so young. What's also young is 25. So this is a man named um, Joven Belcher, and he was a linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs. And in late 2012, Belcher was living with his girlfriend, Cassandra Perkins, and their three-month-old baby, Zoe. And in an argument with Cassandra, Belcher pulled out a handgun and shot and murdered her right in front of his mother, Cheryl Shepard. Oh my god. Didn't kill Cheryl, did not kill Zoe the baby, but killed his girlfriend, Cassandra. And after murdering her, he drove five miles to the parking lot of the Chiefs' practice facility... And he ran into their general manager and said to him, like, I just killed my girlfriend. I'm going to kill myself. And the general manager was like, holy shit, do not do that. And it was like, it was the general manager. And then um, the head coach came out and the linebacker coach came out and they were all trying to talk him down. But then he heard sirens coming and he said, quote, he can't be here. And then he knelt by his car, made the sign of the cross and fatally shot himself in the head. Oh my god. And so they tested him after that, and they found that he had had CTE. And that could be a cause of why that happened. 
Uh, this one I actually did not know, but this has been in the news a lot. Aaron Hernandez, 27. Yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember reading about this shortly after seeing the movie and totally seeing that case in a whole new light. Exactly. So Aaron Hernandez, for those of you who are not from Boston, Massachusetts, haven't been following this case, (laughs) um, he was the tight end for the New England Patriots, and he actually had, like, a longer history of violence than I realized he did. That's true. So starting in 2007, when he was, like, 17, he was accused of, um, like, a drive-by shooting in Gainesville, Florida, which he was not found guilty of, but seems like he did, Um, but no one was killed. Just someone was injured, so great. And then in 2012, there was a double murder that took place in the South End, uh, and he was the prime witness, or he was the prime suspect in that case, but he was found not guilty because the prime witness was a known drug dealer. So they decided he wasn't trustworthy, and so that, I don't think, I think that went to trial, but he was found not guilty. In 2013, uh, his friend Alexander Bradley sued him because he claimed that Hernandez had shot him while the two of them were riding in a car. And they later found out that Alexander Bradley was a witness to the 2012 double homicide in the South End, and they think he was trying to intimidate him, so he shot him. Yeah, so now it feels like he's in uh, the wrong place at the wrong time. Few too many times. Few too many times. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the big one is that in 2013, a man named Odin Lloyd's body was found in an industrial park about a mile from Hernandez's house with multiple gunshot wounds to the back and chest. Odin Lloyd was Aaron's fiance's sister's boyfriend. Got it. So, like, almost brother-in-law. Okay. Had everything worked out, if that makes sense. Okay, okay. And they had been hanging out, and there was a lot of, like, tape of them, like, picking him up in a car, and, like, driving by, and all this stuff. Um, and he was found guilty of the murder of Odin Lloyd. And then, in after he was found guilty in 2017, he died by suicide while he was in prison for Lloyd's murder. And after that, his, his poor girlfriend, who had, like, just given birth to their baby, um, had him tested, and they found out he had also had CTE. Right. So this whole series of crazy, violent events could, in theory, be found, like, the root of that could be CTE. Right. Which he was suffering from and didn't even know. Because that does sound really impulsive, like, you know. It's clear that none of these were, like, well-planned and secret. Yes, exactly. It seems like stuff just kept happening and Aaron Hernandez would shoot somebody. And, like, he happened to get away with it three times. Right. But the fourth, not so much. But, so that's just so sad. That whole story is so crazy. It's crazy. Um, there was an Oxygen documentary about that, if you're interested in that. If you're interested in more of that content. Um, this one resonated to me as crazy. So this guy is still alive. His name is Larry Johnson, and in his career in the NFL, he was a running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Washington Redskins, and the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Larry has been arrested at least six times since 2003, five of which on various assaults of charges against women, and four while he was still actively a player in the NFL, which, after the third one, probably kicked him out of the NFL. But whatever. Yeah, the, what national sports teams will allow of their players, especially in terms of domestic abuse, is terrible. Yes. But so, um, Larry Johnson has said that he suffers from me- memory loss, suicidal impulses, mood swings, and headaches. And he says he does not remember playing two full seasons of professional NFL football. Whoa. He just does not remember it. And because of that, he thinks he has CTE. But they cannot test him for it. Because you can only test people for it when they're dead. Oh god, that's so scary. So he is just alive, knowing, like, 
he keeps doing impulsive shit that gets him arrested. But there's nothing you can really... You can't help it. ...do. Because there's no, like, course of treatment. There's no cure. Right. But that was the one person that I found who has said, like, I think I might have CTE. Right. And it would make sense because he played professional football for a very long time. And just to talk about um, a different sport, let's talk about hockey. Um, in 2011, three hockey enforcers um, died by suicide, and that caused kind of like a small uproar in the hockey community and more interest in CTE. So it was um, Derek Bogard, Rick Ripien, and Wade Bellick. And a hockey enforcer is like the guy who fights in hockey. You might also call him a goon. Ours is Sean <laughs> Thornton. <laughs> there you go. Or, or it was. <laughs> And so, um, only one of these men were tested for CTE. Derek Bogard was found to have CTE. And so, like, the thought was, how interesting that three guys who were in fights all the time right. have all died by suicide, like, within a year of each other. I'm, I'm thinking also about, um, because I, I really like ice hockey and mm-hmm. I'm a big Bruins fan, and I'm thinking about the fights, and because they're in so much padding, usually the fights are, like, they're both, like, big sort of padded bears, like sumo wrestlers. Yeah. And they're just beating each other in the head. Yeah. That's what that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of whacking at each other because they're so padded, it's hard to kind of get at each other. Yeah. And your head's sticking out, and, like, that's all that they kind of can do. They can't, like, punch each other in the stomach. They're just kind of whacking at each other's heads, so. Exactly. That's I'm seeing that in a new light now, which is upsetting. Yeah. And so... Former Boston Bruin right winger, Sean Thornton. Oh my god. Mulled over the, quote, tragic coincidence of the three league deaths, and he agreed that their deaths were probably due to the same cause, but he still defended the role of fighting on the rink. So he was, oh, like, not, not willing to say, maybe we shouldn't punch each other in the head as much. That sounds like him. He loves punching people in the head. That's fair. And you gotta love what you're good at. You know what I mean? Oh boy. Um... <laughs> So that is just some specific stories of people who have been deeply impacted by CTE. Obviously, it's like a whole minefield. Uh, I have how to fix is one section of this um, research that I've done. Here's the hard thing. Let's talk about the hard thing. The hard thing is this. People, including players, genuinely love contact sports. And players know about CTE and the risks now and still choose to play. That wasn't true in the 90s or the early 2000s. Right. But it is true now. Right. So, we know that repetitive injury to your head can give you CTE, which causes all these horrifying symptoms. But, can we just say no one plays football or hockey or any other competitive sport anymore? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. And I think it's also... Uh, because, obviously, neither of us play contact sports. Mm-hmm. We're both just two sort of... We're both real theater nerds. Soft theater ladies. Mm. But... Th- just thinking about... Beyond even, like, the grandeur and the glory and the love of the game, the money... Like, the money that you can make in the NFL is, it's it's unimaginable. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it is success and fame. Like, you know, like, you're never going to achieve. So if you're the kind of kid that's really good at sports, that's the only way, you yeah. know, maybe it's not, but 
likely, you know, if you're if you're good enough to be an NFL player, you shouldn't have that many other talents. I'd, <laughs> I'd be so jealous. It'd be unfair. Um, yeah, it's not fair. But, you know, that's the way you're going to make your mark on the world. You know what I mean? And that's, that's your calling and that's your ticket to being a millionaire and having a mansion and providing for, at minimum, just providing for your family and yeah. making sure that, you know... They have a good life, and and for so many kids coming out of high school, that's where you get to college. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to pay for college. And yeah. I I just think it's like, you know, it seems to me almost like a more intense version of smokers. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like smoke smoking. It's like oh yeah, smoking obviously causes lung cancer, but like I want a cigarette right now. Yeah, it's like a way more intense version on both sides mm-hmm. of this could kill me. Like, in a horrible way. Yes. In a violent way. And it's almost definitely going to if I join the NFL. You know what I mean? I don't don't even know. Like, I don't even know what to say. Like, because those are grown men and they're grown adults. I think it's... I think it has more to do with what we value. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the reason they're getting paid what they're getting paid is because we're all watching it. Yeah. You know? So it's not necessarily their fault... For being like, yes, I'm going to do the thing that's going to make me $10 million a year, you know? Mm-hmm. What else are you going to do? But, you know, like, I'm not going to let my kid play football. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like you have you have different rules for your kid than mm-hmm. for yourself, you know? Like, yeah. parents would be much less inclined to sign their kid up for football than a young man might be to sign himself up for the NFL. Yeah, especially but, now with what we know about CTE. Exactly. So, you know, maybe the less kids who are playing it in high school, the less players there will be maybe later on, and maybe the sport will get less popular. I don't know. Let's bring baseball back, you know? <laughs> I've always liked, what, you know, curling? Mm, love it. <laughs> tennis. Tennis? I love tennis. We I, talked I about tennis, tennis earlier. Um, but, I mean... It's not going away anytime soon. No, it's not. Which is, which is like, what do you do? I just feel helpless with that question. Yeah. So it is, it's really complicated. It's really hard. I would love anyone who wants to tweet at us thoughts on that. Please. Like like we were just saying, and like I'll specifically speak for myself, like I'm a person who does not really watch sports for entertainment. Like you love hockey in a way that like I even don't as much care about hockey. Right. So like I would love the thoughts of anyone who is like genuinely a passionate fan of these kind of things. Like. What do you think? What does this make you think? I'm so curious. Like, right. this is something that I could talk with people about forever, just for, like, the moral implications of yes. it. Yes, yes. I'm fascinated by people's opinions yeah. surrounding this topic. And there are, not, there are not necessarily any wrong opinions. I literally just want to hear, like... Yes, yeah. What are you thinking? Unless your opinion is, like, not only should we keep everything the same, there should be more hitting on the head. We should remove helmets. No more helmets. We'll disregard that. That opinion might be wrong. <laughs> But any other opinion, I want to hear. So, since we cannot solve the problem of whether or not contact sports should exist, here are some things you can do to lessen the odds of getting CTE. Number one, um, athletes who have longer careers and start earlier are more likely to get CTE. Uh, so the the numbers... Retire. <laughs> retire now. Uh, the numbers I've been seeing are about 12 to 14. They recommend that you don't really play contact sports before then. So don't sign your kid up for peewee football when they are 10 or 8 or any age younger than 12 to 14. And that will reduce their risk of CTE. 
Also, eliminate contact where unnecessary. So, like, a lot of contact sports, when they are doing drills and practicing, still do full contact. And so, since all this CTE research has come out, a lot of places have been saying, if you are in a practice, do not do that. Right. <laughs> like, so many repetitive hits to the head happen during practice because you're doing the same thing yeah. over and over to try to get it perfect. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't go full contact if you're practicing. And modify contact where appropriate. So, like, if you have to practice tackling, try not to do it as hard. Try not to do it as often. Try to be safer about who you're tackling and who's tackling and how much they're doing it in a day. I don't watch football, so, like, I don't even understand why tackling's necessary. And if you do understand football, please write in and tell me <laughs> if we have to do it anymore. Oh, my God. Touch football, you guys. Let's yeah. just go back to yeah. touch football. Why not? But those are kind of, like, the three top tips of, like, we can't necessarily ban all contact sports. And we don't know if we want to, so here's what we can do, kind of, as a nation. If we all agree, like, let's not sign up my kid for peewee football, full contact football, before they are 14. Yeah, fair Or 12. Touch football, again, maybe that's fine. I think that's fine. I think that's chill. Oof. So that's CTE, you guys, and it is wild. And it's interesting and horrifying. We honestly cannot do anything until we figure out how to diagnose before people are literally fucking dead. Yeah, that's very true. Once we figure out how to do that, maybe we can make some headway on this. Right. Thank you for that. That was that was very well researched. Thank you. I appreciated it. And now I'm very excited. Now for something different. <laughs> now for something a little different. Although these vampires might have CTE. I don't know. I don't know their life. Um, I don't claim to. Let's get into it. The New England Vampire Panic. So, some context for you. In the late 18th uh, and all of the 19th century, uh-huh. tuberculosis was kicking ass and taking names. Mm. So, I know we just talked a lot about an illness. Yes. I'm going to quickly tap on another illness that's quite different. Ooh, segue. So, yeah. TB was sweeping through the United States and beyond um, and bringing death in waves across small towns and big cities alike. Mm-hmm. So, from 1786 to 1800, TB killed 2% of New England. Wow. All of it. <laughs> All of New England. All of New England. Um, Damn. To sum it up, um, just to get, like, a quick summary of the symptoms and co- and all that jazz. Michael E. Bell from Mental Floss describes it in this way. Quote, it was not a pleasant way to die. Fair. Symptoms included wasting, night sweats, and fatigue, and a persistent cough that sometimes produced white phlegm or foamy blood. Occasionally, the cough turned into hemorrhaging. Those who caught it could not know if they would eventually recover, painfully waste away over the course of years, or die in a matter of months from the galloping form of the disease. And if they did recover, there was always the fear that the illness would return. Uh. And I'll keep going. Um, so the quote continues, cholera, no. <laughs> cholera, plague, smallpox, yellow fever, influenza, and measles were fast-burning epidemics that appeared, killed, and then went dormant as immunities kicked in. Tuberculosis did not. It was an unrelenting fact of life in the 1800s. With no other explanations, people turned to the supernatural to understand the epidemic and to offer the hope of a cure. 
Uh, so do you get it now? Maybe, yeah. Do you get now why I'm talking about vampires? I would say I'm, I don't fully get it, but I'm getting on, you know Let me I explain mean? a little more. Please. So no one knew what in the living fuck was going on. <laughs> Jesus. And it was making people crazy. Oh. So people started doing something kind of weird. Um, actually more than kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the weirdest thing you could possibly do for a seemingly medical reason. So this weird thing, uh, perhaps began when news came to New England about a strange remedy that Europeans had been trying to rid themselves of TB. Those Europeans are at the fault of everything. Mm. Shout out to our roommate, Becky. Uh, all uh, Europeans. And so that remedy was to dig up your own family members who had died of TB. Okay. And destroy their organs. Because they probably were vampires feeding on the fresh blood of those closest to their graves. Okay, wait. Hold. What's confusing? Just, like, I'm just wondering where they got that idea. Like, who was the guy who said... Apparently, there was, like, a quack doctor, as they were Mm. described in this um, article that I read, who did it one time, and then I think there was a news article that published that this happened, and they were like, crazy, right? And then other people were like, yeah, that's so crazy. And then on their fifth dead person were like, maybe that works. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> All right. Fair enough, then. Fair so enough. it started out as like a, like, oh my god, like. <laughs> and it ended like, oh I my can't god. Believe, I can't believe this. And then they're like, but what if we try it? <laughs> but yeah, digging up your loved ones and, you know, destroying their organs, right? Sounds so obvious. Is that all? Um, so folklore dictated that they weren't vampires in the traditional sense like they weren't crawling out of their graves to attack you were they sparkling uh in the day um unresearched okay well then i'm gonna say yes i'm gonna (laughs) do a big fart fat Um, check mark on that one heck yeah so the idea was that they were sort of seeping off the spiritual connection that they had with their loved ones so that their body was kind of taking blood from them in a more supernatural way, you know, like, as this person was dying from TB, they were kind of sucking the life force out of them. Okay. From within the grave. What were they doing with the life force? Can't answer that for you. Okay. Um, (laughs) just keeping it. Um, (laughs) so, like, if three family members died of TB, Mm -hmm. right, what's the only logical way to save the fourth one? You dig up the last three, and you ask them kindly to quit being vampires. (laughs) Okay, you know what? Fine. Next question. How do you do this? Is it destroy all their organs? Let's talk about it. There's a bunch of ways. So you could burn the organs. You could burn the corpses. Okay. Just to be safe. Yeah, that's what I would do. I'd Um, say might as well burn. If if I'm going to burn part of my dead dad, might as well burn them all. Like, is that the spleen over there? I missed it. You know what? (laughs) To heck with it. Put her in there. Let's just do the whole thing. Um, Sometimes you could decapitate them. That was a less popular option. Yeah, because you're not doing anything with the organs. Exactly. My favorite was to simply rearrange them. Or, (laughs) quote, turn them upside down. (laughs) Again, I'm going to need a little more detail here. That's like you're not quite panicked enough yet, and they're like, let's just flip them over. (laughs) We'll see if that works. If Timmy's better, we'll leave it. If he's not, we'll get crazier. Um, And then another thing was that some more intense people did... I'll tell you about during our last story. Oh, no. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Ugh. So, a few cases of this. Henry David Thoreau wrote in his 1859 journal, quote, The savage in man is never quite eradicated. I have just read of a family in Vermont who, several of its members having died of consumption, just burned the lungs and heart and liver of the last deceased in order to prevent any more from having it. 
So this spread far and wide enough for Henry David Thoreau to know about. Like, it was news in New England. It was Front a page thing. news. In the 1850s, Henry Ray dug up all his brothers when he started getting TB. <laughs> so, like, all his brothers. All his brothers. All three of them. Um, and, like, he already had TB, so he was sick, like, digging, like, this better <laughs> fucking work, you know? Did it work? No, of course not. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, get this, a gravesite near his home was robbed, and the bones were left out in, like, skull and crossbone shapes, and they think that it was, like, to sort of ward away the vampires or something that, or... Okay. I don't even know exactly what. But that all happened in the same town. So, oh, like, damn. that town was fully whacked out. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but if everyone's dying of TB, then maybe you get a little whacked out. Heck yeah. And so now, this is our last story. I'm keeping it short because there's really not much more information about it other Jesus than this H. is something that some people did during the TB crisis in the 1800s. Motherfuck. That's what was going on. Now we're going to talk about Mercy Brown. So let me set the stage for her. Oh. It's 1892. Fun fact, 200 years after the Salem Witch Trials, which kind of reminds me of this. Yeah, I'm thinking about um, the Salem Witch Trials, that I'd too. Love to, yeah, that I'd love to cover someday. Uh, we're in Rhode Island, which is an hour away from us, so I bet it looked like a lot like Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. All of New England is the same. So Mercy's family starts dying of TB, obviously. Mm-hmm. Everybody's doing it. Um, her mom and sister both die, and then she kicks it all within, like, eight or ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, so when her brother Edwin starts getting sick, her dad is like, we're not doing this. It's time to get real. Let's solve some problems. So Absolutely. he digs up all the bodies, and while the other bodies had decayed and you could start seeing, like, bone and stuff like that, Mercy's had hardly done so. And she even had blood in her heart and other organs. Damn, Mercy. So that sounds really scary, right? But then you think about it. Like, she died last and most recently. So there's one. She was buried in the wintertime. Oh. So common, you know, scientists were like, oh, well, if you're buried in the wintertime, your body is, like, refrigerated. Yeah, well, frozen. So, yeah, everything's kind of preserved for a while. But Mercy's dad was like, I smell a vampire. (laughs) So he did something a little rash. Oh, God. Um, which was that he burned Mercy's heart and fed the ashes to his sick son. Ooh. Gross, right? Was it, like, in a wrap? I think anything? it was in water. Not good enough. Not good enough for me, no. I didn't want to be drinking my sister's heart water. It was like Donner Party all over again. Jesus Christ, why is there so much cannibalism in your stories? I don't know. <laughs> Stares at you lasciviously. Um, <laughs> Good use of lasciviously. Thank you. And guess what? Uh, fucking Edwin died anyways. Oh, Edwin. So, Rip. A for effort, dad. Thanks a heap for that. Poor Mercy Brown. I feel like she was in her little grave, or like they're digging her out of her grave, and they're like burning up all her organs, and she's just like kind of hovering above it like a ghost, like, you know what? I wasn't a vampire, but now I'm gonna kill Edwin because like, I'm sick of this, Yeah, honestly, dad. fuck you guys. You know? He was always your favorite. Yeah. Why didn't you kill mom for me? You (laughs) know, like, yeah, mom died in 1885. (laughs) And then I got sick and you were like, oh, bummer. And Uh. and Edwin gets sick and this happens. Yeah, it's like, I'm not a vampire, but I am a ghost and I am going to haunt you now. I'm not a vampire, but I have feelings. Yeah. I feel that way all the time. (laughs) So, yeah, that's... I mean, that's what happened. Um, But Mm. honestly, let's get real for a minute. The most horrifying thing about all of this is how the grief from these waves of death drove people to the brink of madness and how they were desperate for any solution, no matter how disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. Like, they were just like, I will do 
anything because it was relentless. And it was so mysterious. And nobody knew what was happening. So fucked up. Nobody knew what was happening. It makes me think of the other person who this haunted, which is, um, it haunted a lot of people, but it really fucked up Edgar Allan Poe. Ooh, fun. Edgar Allan Poe was deeply inspired and tormented by tuberculosis because, you know, it ravaged up his whole family and mm-hmm. his weird niece wife, mm-hmm. cousin wife. Was that um, Annabelle Lee? <laughs> it wasn't. It was, I don't remember her name. Lenore. Um, one of them. <laughs> some, somebody. I would love to do Edgar Allan Poe someday. Oh, he has, a, he has a wild story, that man. Yeah. What a weirdo. What a weirdo. Anyway, anywho. Oh my gosh. There's some vampires for you. Just a quick vampire thing. Ugh. Just some quick vampires to spice your day up. Do you want to hear my favorite thing about TB? Please. Um, my favorite thing about TV is that it was so widespread and it could be so dormant that it became, like, the inspiration for, like, the beauty standards of the day. Yes, it did. And, like, the hot women were the ones who were, like, pale, with glassy eyes, and they would be swooning and very thin, but it was because, like, all women were dying of TB and that's what yeah. you looked like. And all the men were like, God, that's so hot. <laughs> yeah. I love a woman that can't fucking stand up. Uh. Hot. Sign me up. Her feverish eyes. Can I like, buy you a drink? It's not feverish. She has a fever. She's dead. She died. She died 20 minutes ago. <laughs> she doesn't want to go with the prom with you, Jeremy. Oh, poor Jeremy. Oh. Poor Edgar Allan Poe. Poor Mr. Brown. Poor Edwin, I guess. But more more so poor Mercy. And Mr. poor Brown. Mercy. God, Mercy. Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. All right. You guys, what a journey we've been on today. Just don't go outside. I don't think play sports. Yeah. TB might come back. We don't know. Stay indoors. It's like that episode of Spongebob. Isn't everything. <laughs> Amen to that. All right. Stay horrified. Stay horrified.